players are getting better. It's so exciting to see. But if there's no one there to show how good Paul McBeth is, then he's not making a million dollars a year. Welcome to Patent Pending, a show about the future of disc golf. I'm Jesse from Trash Panda, and on the show today, how Jonathan Gomez went from a toy camera to building one of the largest media companies in disc golf. So if you've been playing disc golf for any length of time, then you're probably familiar with names like Paul Macbeth and Ricky Wysocki. But in 2012, those names were all but unrecognizable to an avid disc golfer who just happened to pull out his camera to film Paul Macbeth's first world championship. And I know it might be hard to imagine, but there was a time in our sport when media was almost non-existent, and names like Ken Climo and Juliana Corver were only recognizable because their names were on a disc or two. But then, a kid from Texas with a catchy nickname created a YouTube channel for his side hustle and started to see a different future for disc golf. One where media became front and center, and one where the next Paul Macbeth would be a household name. And it all started with a toy camera, skate culture, and a GoPro Hero 2. I mean, my, you know, I think most of us growing up in the 90, early 90s, like I've, some somebody, either your parents or somebody you knew, a family member or a friend, had like a camcorder, you know, like a shoulder camcorder with the full size VHS that went inside of it, or, you know, or maybe you were fancy and had the high eight tapes or something, but we had those. And so, you know, when you're a kid, you love either being in front of it or, or banning the camera and filming your family or whatever. So that was probably my first experience with filming stuff, but it wasn't to the point where I was going to go and do anything with it. Cause a lot of times I don't even remember popping the tapes and actively like going through everything. I don't know. Maybe we did. And I just don't remember. But anyways, as I move into like junior high, I remember just me and my friends would think it was hilarious just to film skits and stuff like dumb, really dumb stuff. Probably not funny at all. But my friend had like video camera that was made by Tyco, essentially like the toy company. Uh-huh. And it had no way to load media in or anything. And it would plug straight into your VCR. And then you'd have <laughs> oh to hit record God. on your VCR. And then you would essentially just be tethered to your VCR and recording whatever you could film, you know, eight feet from your VCR. Yeah, on a leash. Yeah, it's, it was. It was like literally on a leash. And I was like, you know, at the time we we're like, oh, this is awesome. Like, we didn't care. And so I remember that was our first time like ever actively filming stuff, knowing that it was going to be for this purpose. So we would film really dumb skits or we would just, you know, that was that was most of it. Just dumb ideas. We'd come up with characters, whatever it was. And this was before, we, you know, the emergence of Jackass and stuff. So it wasn't a whole for lot sure. of like... I feel like the only thing you would ever watch that had that kind of look to it was like America's Funniest Home Videos or something. You know, everything else that you watched was pretty produced. But until Jackass comes out and it's kind of just like, oh, here we're randomly filming this, like kind of like a run and gun style of people just doing whatever. But anyways, it was before that, but we would film those and we'd go back and watch and we'd show our friends or our, you know, parents or whatever thinking we were so funny. 
And like, I still wish we had those tapes because I'm sure they're so embarrassing that I would still Bro, like someone, see, like, someone's mom the... definitely has those tapes. Still. Yeah, but so she probably never deleted them or, you know, yeah. recorded over them. But who knows? She might have recorded like figure skating over the top of them by now or something. <laughs> but so after that, um, as I get into high school, I start skateboarding with my friends. And now this is around the time MTV's doing their thing with with those shows like Jackass and like, you know Viva La Bam and all that all that kind of stuff yeah, where it's Bam just Margera, like yeah. these these young guys just doing whatever they want with a video camera and and then we're watching skate videos and that's like even further removed from like any kind of rules you know you just it's just like there's no oh, format yeah. you can put music behind it as long as you're having fun with your buddies. And if you're good at skateboarding, that's a bonus, but that's not even a requirement, which was good for us because we weren't good at skateboarding. We loved it. It's kind of like disc golf. Like you can enjoy something and be content like with your skill level and still look up to people that are really good, but you can still just kind of live in your own little world of not caring how good you are as long as you and your friends are having a good time. Yeah. So that's what skateboarding was for us. We were very amateur at it, but we had, you know, everyone was trying to actively still get better. But at the end of the day, we were just having fun. We had a video camera, we'd film our little skate parts, but then we'd also film dumb stuff. We were just having fun. And then we weren't, when we weren't skating, we were sitting at one of our houses watching skate DVDs or skate VHS tapes. Like we even had VHS tapes. It certainly wasn't going and looking it up on the internet. Like you had to have those, you had to go buy them or borrow them or whatever to to watch. And so we would get so pumped. I remember we'd watch skate videos and we'd get so pumped and immediately want to go out and skate because you're just like, dude, these guys are amazing. Like I got to go do this. So it's so cool to see the parallel between whenever you get into, you know, later on down the road for me, it's the reason I started filming disc golf was because I loved playing it so much and there wasn't enough content to consume. And I was like, well, yeah. maybe I can do something about this because I know what that's like. I know what it's like to love a sport or take an interest in something and love it so much that if I'm not actively participating yet, I want to watch people that are the best at it. So yeah. I already had that. Like I you know, spent years in that realm with skateboarding. So I feel like skate culture and disc golf culture share a really unique Venn diagram. You have people like yourself. I grew up skating. Ben Calloway is an example that comes to mind of people who really grew up in skate and then switched over. Or even I think of parks. Like I grew up next to Condon Park in Grass Valley. Shout out to Greg Barsby. That is a a disc golf course next to a skate park. And we would just go there and do both. I feel like that culture is just so prevalent. And like the Venn diagram is really unique. So somewhere in there then between skate and disc golf i'm sure they overlapped but somewhere in there you get a gopro and jomez pro starts but it's not a grip bag review that's actually the first video on your channel it's something else right yeah yeah those have definitely been removed since then but as i get into college i I go to school for for media and all that and we do all kinds of student projects and we have fun but i realized very quickly that everyone in here is doing this just for the heck of it and they're not treating it as a something they might want to do with their with their future and so there was only a couple of us that stood out as those people were taking it seriously and not just trying to do it because they had to submit something for a grade. We were doing it because we were, we were going to be proud of whatever we submitted. So yeah, in college, I quickly realized I've got to do more. I've got to figure out what I'm going to do here to set myself up for the future. 
I start using my student loans to buy camera equipment because I didn't have any money. I was working part-time. I was living at home because I didn't even have money to live, you know, get an apartment or anything. I, I just had my car payment and then school. So I started using student loans and I'm buying camera gear and I'm trying to film anything I can. I'm doing ballets, I'm doing commercials, I'm doing peewee football games. Like I had some really good things going that were pretty good money makers for what it was. And then, yeah, after that, I was like, the GoPro came out and I was like, holy cow, this is so cool. You can have this camera underwater. That's insane. There's a video somewhere, probably on my Vimeo somewhere way back of just me literally the day I got it, pulling that thing out of the box and just like me and my buddy in the swimming pool, throwing it around and thinking this is the coolest thing ever. And so after that, I think that was the original GoPro Hero. I think when the Hero 2 came out, I was like, all right. I'm just looking on YouTube, you know, YouTube is starting, you know, by now it's like 20, 2009 or something. And obviously YouTube is, is starting to, to really take off. And I realized that like, there's people that are hungry for more information about every time a new camera comes out, as you can see now, Unbox Therapy and all these people, they make a living off of just getting their hands on stuff first. So when I was like, dude, this is so cool. If I can put up a video as soon as possible, I can get you know, give people this information and then they can decide if they like it or not. And they'll comment on the video and all this stuff. So I started doing that when the GoPros would level up from one to the next. One time I was at Best Buy and I remember I looked on the shelf because I knew that the GoPro, I want to say it might've been the Hero 2. I knew that the new Hero 2 was coming out like, oh, next week is when they're supposed to release it, whatever. And I kid you not, the GoPro Hero 2 was sitting on the shelf next to the other GoPros. And whoever was in the back stocking stuff had accidentally put it out too early. And I remember going, oh my God, there it is. It's not supposed to be out yet. They probably don't even know. And I'm like freaking out and I'm like going to go buy it. And I'm like, I wonder if it's going to stop me. Like they don't care. Like dude cares. And I just remember buying it. And I was like, dude, I'm going to put up a video like a week before it comes out. That was like where I was like, all right, this is the first time I've posted anything on my YouTube channel that I, people actually care about because otherwise commercials and student videos and like just demo real stuff that people aren't actively searching for or seeing any value in, you know, as far as just like the random person browsing the internet. So when I was doing this GoPro stuff, it was like ways that I was getting traffic and I was getting people to actually care about what I was posting. And I felt like I was serving a purpose this whole time I'm playing disc golf. I'm just not doing anything media wise in disc golf. I'm just, you know, there's not much to consume media wise. So it's not really like a concern for me because I don't know who anybody is just because they're not, not watching anything. Like I'm, I know that DVDs and VHS had existed right at this point, but there wasn't a whole lot like on the internet to, to like consume. It was 2012 and I was planning to fly for the first time to the world championships in yeah. Charlotte. So a couple months before that, I was like, well, if I'm going to fly... I want to get one of those new disc golf backpacks, the the Grip EQ disc golf backpacks. And so I get the bag and I'm, well, of course, naturally, I want to make a video of it and show everybody what this bag's all about. And that way they can decide if they like it because I you know, took a risk and spent $200 on this bag, which was the most that you could spend pretty much on a disc golf bag at that time in 2012 because the end of a bag was like 80 bucks. Yeah. And then you buy the straps for another 20 and you're in for a hundred bucks and that's yeah. a lot. So if you're going to spend twice as much, I got to show people what they're getting. So I remember I made that video and it did pretty well. And I remember Grip reached out to me 
and was like, hey, we enjoyed your video. Thanks for posting it. And then I would get messages or I'd see people at tournaments because at this time I'm still actively playing tournaments. Like I'm probably playing at least 10 tournaments a year as an amateur around Texas. And they'd be like, hey, man, I saw that 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 grip review you made. You should tell grip that like I, I bought a bag because of you you know i had I heard that multiple times i was like dang man wow. i wish give me a bag or some, or pay me or something you know but I was give me like, that 200 bucks like, ah. back <clears throat> yeah so then down the road i remember they did send me the that was the old l series the original and then they went to the a series because the l series would fall over all the time i remember i hated that bag eventually once it gets worn in it just falls over and they they <laughs> put the weight over the center they called it an a series and they were like hey this is all the improvements we made and to this day, it's like very much based around that design. They pretty much stuck with it. They just changed up a little bit, but that was like yeah. a big deal. So they sent me that one for free. They didn't pay me to do the review and they didn't tell me to say this or that, you know, like in a biased way, but they just said, this is all the features. And if you want to do it, you know, we would appreciate it. So I did that and, you know, got a lot of good feedback from that. And I think that was probably still right around that same time. So it went from GoPro review videos to grip review videos. And that was my entrance into disc golf media. It had nothing to do with anybody yeah. playing or anything. It was just me showing off a bag and doing the review format because I had success with it in, in other yeah. areas. And you saw success with the grip review. And then some might say, coincidentally, you ended up at Worlds and started filming 2012, mm -hmm. the only... The only record still to this day of Paul's first ever world championship. And then somewhere, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people know that part of the story, but somewhere then in there, you had to make a decision. You started to bring people around you. Mike came in and started, you know, helping with everything. And you had yeah. to make a decision to go, like, do we go all in with this? And I know there were some pressures adding to that of, you know, your job and relationships and stuff. So yeah, can you speak to that a little bit? Like when, when, what was that like when you had to make the decision to say, all right, let's go all in. Was it easy? Was it hard? Was it, did it feel like a massive risk or did it just feel like the next step in your process? Yeah. So, you know, as, as most people know by now, 2012 was my first video in Charlotte with Paul Macbeth. And then 2013, we filmed one more tournament and then 2014, I was telling, this is when I got Michael involved and said, hey, I really think we should start doing two cameras because I was just doing it solo and I didn't have any real, real like schedule or, or anything or any drive to like any sort of format I was trying to do or any certain amount of events. Like I just, it was just all like on a whim. So I remember this one was like, hey, we're going to show up to the first round of the tournament, not the final round. You know, that was like the first, the main difference there it was like, let's yeah. film the entire tournament. Huh. So so we're there in, in Austin in that spring and we filmed that tournament and, you know, all the names are there, Paul and, and Simon and, and, you know, Yuli and Ricky and all these people. And so that's the first time we're like, all right, that was awesome. Like we put graphics in, we put, you know, whole maps, we did two cameras. That was much better. That was much better than doing it solo and only just doing it final round and doing it with a purpose from start to finish. And then we got invited to go to GBO right after that. And we started picking up mm -hmm. some momentum and we went to GBO and that was amazing. It was such a fun tournament. And I remember around, right around that time, most people don't know that I was actually married back then. I think we got married in 2010. And so at this point it's, 
then we got married 2011 and then by now it's 2014 things just i think it was just a mixture of me traveling a lot because i if i wasn't filming i was playing i was playing a lot Mm -hmm. and that's why it made it so easy to pick up these other tournaments because it was just another tournament it's just instead of playing i was filming and i loved one or the other it didn't really matter to me but if i had the opportunity to film i was like well i'm better at this than i am at playing and i can't lose if i show up to film i can't like <laughs> shoot an 800 rated rounders or whatever you know i know that yeah. i can execute this like as long as i remember to hit record which is a lot easier than hitting a 25 foot putt or whatever so <laughs> so yeah there i think it was just something being young just not really having the full like giving something enough attention and just, you know, that's just the way it is. I think it's not an uncommon thing for people to get married young and things just don't really work out. And um, so, yeah, that's around right around that time is whenever I was like, oh crap, like this is like something's very wrong here. We ended up separating around that time. It hit me so hard. It was the darkest time in my life that I encountered at that up to that point. Because all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I'm by myself. Uh, I'm not used to that because I've been married for like three years. And and now all of a sudden you're just solo. And it was a very dark time. I basically quit playing disc golf that summer because like it reminded me too much of my previous life. Because it was like I had to start over now. So I had Mm. to pick up new hobbies. I remember I picked up fishing, which I'd already... I've been fishing my whole life, but I like really dug into that because I was just yeah. like, I got to find something to do to occupy my time. If I'm not at work, I couldn't just go sit at home because all of a sudden you're not, your home life isn't what it was. And you're basically, totally. you feel like you're going to go insane if you just sit around there being by yourself all the time or whatever. It's just yeah. like, something's just, a, it's just not right. And there's this huge adjustment that you've got to, that you've got to have. So took me a, a few months to like, kind of get through that. I mean, obviously it took me longer than that, but it took me a few months to get back into disc golf and be like, okay, I'm, I feel like I can do this now and not, it doesn't hurt to like play disc golf because it doesn't remind me of like something that's, you know, unpleasant or whatever. I want to say we, I don't think we filmed any more in 2014, but I started to kind of play disc golf again, at least. And so I was hitting yeah. at more tournaments and and doing all of that as like a part of therapy of like, all right, I got to get my feet back under me, you know, and I got to, totally. I got to like continue to move forward with my life now. But, you know, I guess one of the, you know, positives of that is all of a sudden I don't have like this obligation, not that, not in a negative sense, but you know, you have a family at home that you still have to consider, Absolutely. but in, I no longer had that, <laughs> you know, my life had got flipped upside down. And so now it's like, okay, I guess I can be traveling and going to tournaments now and not feeling like I'm gone too much. And so 2015 hit and me and Michael like just hit it so hard. We we did 10 tournaments that year in 2015 and we did two yeah. the year before and one Crazy. in the previous years before that. So it was just like, all right, like I've, you know, it was my way of like making the most of the situation. And I had Michael with me who didn't have a, you know, who wasn't married or, you know, didn't have any kids or anything. So it was like, all right, like if we can take off of work, we're going. And we both took off way too much time from work, but we made it. I mean, we did it, you know, like if they weren't going to stop us, we weren't, we weren't slowing down. When we come back, 
Jonathan and Michael decide to go all in and begin to lay the groundwork for a shift that, unbeknownst to them, would completely alter the world of disc golf. Have you ever wondered how Jomez Pro is able to employ 20 full-time crew members, produce tournament coverage, create off-season series like The Putting Game, and develop podcasts like this one? Well, it's because of one amazing group of diehard disc golf fans, the Jomez Pro Patreon community. The financial support Jomez Pro receives from Patreon is essential to their mission of pushing disc golf to new places. It's also a great place to influence what happens behind the scenes. They often post videos before the public to get everyone's feedback, and it's just a great place to discuss topics like your favorite touring pros and cool merch ideas. So if that sounds like something you'd like to be a part of, consider joining. They have three tiers to fit your budget, and on top of all of that, they post exclusive content that doesn't get published on the YouTube channel, monthly giveaways like signed discs and practice baskets, big discounts to their shop, and you can even get your name listed on the coverage by signing up for the Founders Club. You can visit jomezpro.com Patreon and sign up today to get instant access to all of the Patreon benefits. Honestly, aside from just watching, or listening in this case, signing up for the Jomez Pro Patreon is easily the most impactful way to support Jomez Pro and their mission. So sign up today at jomezpro.com slash Patreon. And if you're already one of the 3,000 plus members, thank you. Welcome back to the show. So it's 2019 and Jomez has started to make a name for themselves. Words like Slomez and Fall Flight are officially introduced into the lexicon of disc golf, and they hit a milestone unlike any other, 100,000 subscribers. And while Jomez was starting to explode, so was our sport. As we all now know, the past four years have been crazy for the sport of disc golf and its growth, and the snowball only continues to get bigger and bigger. So I had to ask Jonathan how much of a role he thought media played in that shift. It's a tremendous amount. There's no way to quantify it, in my opinion. Like the players are getting better. It's so exciting to see, but if there's no one there to show how good Paul McBeth is, then he's not making a million dollars a year because he's always, he's been that good since 2012, you know, when he won his first title and before even, and you know, he won what four in a row, but he wasn't getting paid that much money back then. The media is increasing that presence and he has his own channel and Discraft has their own channel and Eva has their own channel and Jomez and Gatekeeper and GK, you know, and, and the Disco Network and all the all of these media outlets that are like finally hitting their strides and all putting their own spin on things and showing and giving these players their platforms and their chance to shine and really show who they are and how good they are. And giving them personalities. Aside from that, you know, everyone's in love with certain players because of their personality. They might not be the best player, but that's who I'm rooting for. I think it's just a, a perfect timing of of these players hitting their stride, like in 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 the sense of like athletically, but also the media to show like their personalities, but also like how how good they are and how dominant they can be, and just giving people so, someone to root for. 
I think it's just like the golden age of everything coming together all at once. The media companies committing to it full time, giving it everything they've got, growing their teams, putting more cameras on the course in their report, doing more behind the scenes content, doing more original content like off the course. And also them just being at the top level of like the highest level of disc golf that's ever been played. You know, they asked me, how can I get involved in disc golf media? And I'm just like, just show up. There's so many tournaments and there's so many areas of the country and of the world that have solid talent that no one may ever see if, you know, if someone's not showing up and filming. So you don't have to be chasing the biggest tournaments. Yeah, you might not get the most views. Like, because your tournament has people that aren't as well known, but what if you just get an insane shot on camera or you get the beginnings of a Paul Macbeth that is just not discovered yet and just show up. That's all I say. I don't care if you have an iPhone or you have a $6,000 camera, like you don't need all of that. Just you need your desire to, to show up and commit to something like that. And then I think if you have what it takes, then you'll then you'll be consistent with that, and before you know it, you'll you'll have something there. That's all great, but at the end of the day, to do that year after year, more and more, to grow the team, to keep it going, I mean, there has to be a why that's driving you, right? There has to be a why that drives Jomez. That speaking directly to to you guys right now, I know there's other media players in the game, but speaking directly to you, there's got to be something that drives you doing those late nights and then getting in the RV, continuing to drive, continuing to just keep going for the sport. What, what is that? What is your why? Even from the very beginning, like I loved disc golf so much that I wanted to share that with other people. I, I loved playing. But at the end of the day, like if I knew that my skill set in media could be used to help other people enjoy this sport that I love so much, that I would go and follow and commit time and money to following the best of the best and then showing that to the people that couldn't be there. Like I couldn't ask for anything more. That's all that's all we're I'm here for is to to show disc golf and to find people that, that are on the same level as us and help support them because without them, without people, like none of this works. I started it by myself, but as soon as I brought in Michael and then Jerry, you know, and then my brother and then Juan, you know, all these people that come in and then we stack it up and now we're up to like 20 people and it won't stop there. I know for a fact it won't because we're going to need more people the more that we keep doing this. There's no level of us just being content. And saying, all right, we've made it. Let's just level off here and let's pull back yeah. and whatever. Because I've always said that as soon as we stop growing, like we're not doing the sport any good because then we feel like we've arrived and we've made it. If we're not giving them our all, then we're not doing any good. And we might as well just, you know, just hang it up because I refuse to go backwards and scale back. You've been saying this for years that you're not just going to get settled and stop growing. I think about when you got your 100,000 subscriber plaque, you literally said in that video, on to a million. And I think I think you're still in a place where you very much so believe that and very much so are Absolutely. pushing for that. So when it comes to the disc golf landscape and how many people it's it's weird to think about, but there's people out there who are not consuming disc golf content. And then when it comes to the people who aren't even aware or interested in the sport right now, what does it look like for you and Jomez to to bring media and culture 
to the people who aren't here yet? How are you doing that? What does that look like? What are you thinking about for tomorrow's disc golfers? We certainly know that the the current format of what's gotten us as far as coverage, which is traditionally three to four rounds, uh, 18 holes at a time, the top players, you know, all of that. And we have the pace set of what it looks like to produce that type of, of content. And it's, it takes a lot of people, but we're, we're hitting our stride where it's very much like the, the crew busts their butt to get it done on time around the clock. Um, and it's amazing, but there's that we're, I feel like we're, we're still like, that's going to continue getting to more people. Every time we post that video, there's more and more people that are going to find that. But I feel like for us to really hit the next level, we have to find out what, how do we present disc golf to people that don't care about disc golf? Cause YouTube already does that for us. Sometimes if it hits a certain, you know, algorithm or whatever, then it's going to show up and people might comment, what the heck is this? Like a whatever. But then there are people who like, when I first saw it, I wasn't interested and now I am, but I still feel like there's, there's a way to present disc golf to people that is not 18 holes at a time. You know, like we can still get people interested in disc golf in the personalities of the players that play without making them sit through that traditional format. I feel like I represent in many ways that player because for 10 years i i played and never had a pdga number never played in a single competitive round outside of with my friends and there were months like i think of summers in college even some jobs i had where i would play every single day yet i wasn't really consuming too much content i wasn't i wasn't like out there yeah it's like you said there's plenty of people out there that go to the course and they have no idea who Paul McBeth is other than the fact that his name's on the disc. And they have no yeah. idea who Joma is or the disc golf pro tour or the disc golf, you know, anything other than the fact that they just go buy discs and, and they hang out with their buddies and they have a good time. And I yep. love that that's still a thing. You talked about the evolution of like the next phase of disc golf and what's next. What do you see in tomorrow's disc golf that's not here today i think i see just a lot more players coming in and not players i mean players in the sense of like athletes but i meant players in the sense of like people that show an interest in disc golf that can really help us put like insane money behind it i mean you already see people that do like the eagles crossing skins match that's like worth all this money and people that want to put in all kinds of money for like big money matches and stuff like that, because the players are continuing to get better and better. And there's always going to be a need for like, I think competition outside of the competition as we know it in the traditional sense, the future is just going to continue. I think being more people finding it and wanting to put money into it and the media having like their sense of responsibility to like showcase what's happening to the, to the fans. Joma's has has shifted in some ways from from media. We've talked about this a little bit, but media to to culture, and in many ways, Jomez is now one of, or arguably, the biggest player in the game when it comes to just how people think about the sport. Do you feel a level of responsibility there for the future? Absolutely. I mean, they 
I try to make it known publicly or acknowledge it as often as I can that without the fans, like we wouldn't be here. Like we have the people that showed up like myself and Jerry and Michael and, and, and Juan from the beginning, but without people watching and consuming the content that we produced, like we would have fallen flat so fast. Like if we, if those videos that we posted didn't get any views or got a few hundred views, we would have been like, okay, obviously that's not it. Cause we were only doing it so that people would be able to enjoy it. And if those people never found it or they just didn't, they didn't resonate with them and they didn't feel like that's something that they wanted to see more of, then we would have moved on to something else or just quit altogether. So we feel a very deep sense of responsibility and a sense of gratitude for those people that have been with us for like since the beginning or as soon as they found it and stuck with us because without them, like we wouldn't be able to be, you know, we wouldn't be doing this because if no one was watching, then we would just have to move on to something else or it just felt like it wouldn't have felt like we were serving a purpose. So that's what gives us our sense of purpose. And like I said before, that's our why is to produce content for people that, that um, couldn't be there in person and try to make it as, as, as the best viewing experience possible and to show people like what's going on out there. So yeah, we we feel a, a, a very strong sense of responsibility, but not in the sense where it's like, oh, we better be, be able to, to please them or do right by them. It's like, we know that like our, our giving our best is what they're there for and they're very appreciative of it, you know? And that's, you know, that, that sense of responsibility is more of like a mutual you know, like respect between us and the and the viewers. So yeah, as long as we keep that as our focus, that that responsibility to give the fans nothing less than than our best, then I think that then they trust that that's what we're gonna do, and uh, that kind of thing is like it's gonna continue, you know, getting you know propelling us into the future as as a uh, as we want to continue evolving and. As long as we keep our sights set on on what got us here in the first place, I don't. I just don't see it slowing down. I feel like we're going to continue to find new ways of of giving the fans what they deserve and and showing and giving the players the platform that they deserve because they've dedicated their lives and and so much time to perfect what they do. That we love that that responsibility that we've worked ourselves into, and we don't take it lightly. And uh, I'm going to continue doing my, my best to, to run this company in a way that continues to have that as our as our guiding light. You know, that's like we no matter what happens in disc golf, like there's always going to be something that people want to see that they normally wouldn't be able to without. media. That's Jonathan Gomez, the founder of Jomez Pro. As of this recording, they just surpassed 400,000 subscribers and their influence goes well beyond any quantifiable numbers. But will they stop at disc golf? To understand what the future holds for Jomez, I had to ask one final question. I know a handful of the Jomez crew has experience in the wedding videography realm. So just out of, you know, pure curiosity, if there was a couple that was getting married and wanted to hire Jomez to 
not only post-produce the wedding, but to have maybe some big, sexy, very commentary over the wedding as well. <laughs> Would you ever entertain it? It's not a yes or no. It's oh just, my it, gosh. It, it's not like you're committing to it, but would you entertain yeah. the idea? I, I think it would be hilarious. But the fact, the thing about weddings is that there's always two people that are in charge of making that decision. And almost every time I could tell you that there's going to be one half of the party that is not going to be down with that. So I would say that that would be a fun project. And I would say that we would be interested in it, but I just uh, hypothetically, yeah, I'll say I'll agree to that all day. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Patent Pending is presented by Jomez Pro, and you can subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Patent Pending Show. And if you want to contact the team, our email address is patentpendingshow at jomezpro.com. This episode was produced by Andy Padula with music composed by Starframe. I'm Jesse from Trash Panda, and you've been listening to Patent Pending.